Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Advocate Podcast from the KASB Advocacy staff. Uh, This is March 11th, a remarkably frigid March 11th uh, for at least eastern Kansas. Uh, The legislature is moving right along. We have a lot to talk about uh, this week. Uh, We are looking next week as the last week many committees will meet and take action, but there are many, many unresolved issues that we still have to deal with. We're going to go through, our team today is going to talk about uh, things in the order of a document that we call Where We Stand, and if you're interested in getting that yourself, you can go to the KASB.org website under Advocacy. Where We Stand is our kind of weekly update in narrative form, and I'm going to go in that order, not that it's necessarily most important to everyone, but it's what we've got up in front of us. So uh, Scott and Leah are going to jump in as we go along. Our intern team is also watching, and I've told them if they've got anything to, to add their welcome to do so. We're going to start right away with the topic we've been following for several weeks around the whole issue of parent rights, transparency, website posting, and things like that. We had some action this week when the Senate Education Committee voted to recommend Senate Bill 496. Uh, Just would note that bill is a, it identifies a list of parent rights that basically are a a restatement of what is already in law. We do not feel that it makes a substantial, just kind of puts it all in one place. I'll tell you there are concerns about whether this does kind of send different messages, uh, but at this stage, that's what the committee has done. Let's be clear, that bill does not include all of the post on your on your website, your curriculum materials and things that was in the House bill. That's still in a House bill, but it was sent back to the K-12 Budget Committee. That was in House Bill 2662. We expect those items may be repackaged in some fashion with other policies uh, and possibly linked to the budget bill that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. So uh, anything, guys, I'm missing on kind of where we stand with some of the uh, parent rights and transparency issues? I don't think so. Well, let's go to another topic, and that is also action in Senate education this week. <coughs> That's a vote to recommend Senate Bill 484, dealing with transgender students. Leah, you've been following that. Yes. Senate Bill 484 prohibits transgender girls and women from participating on women's sports teams, either at the uh, K-12 level or the collegiate level unless the team is specifically designated as a co-ed team. KASB uh, opposed this bill because our legislative policy says that uh, rulings about student participation in activities and athletics is the statutory purview of CASIA and we should not get involved in it. We also have uh, heard from our legal staff that there are concerns about um, uh, this type of law uh, potentially eventually being overturned by either the U.S. Supreme Court or being uh, overturned by congressional action. And there are some other concerns about student privacy and the impact on vulnerable students and and, um, uh, making it even harder to educate them. So we testified against the bill but the bill was passed out of committee nonetheless and is eligible eligible for floor action. 
might remember that this is very similar to a bill passed last year that was accepted by both the House and Senate, vetoed by Governor Kelly. The House over, overrode the veto. The Senate failed by one vote. <clears throat> Clearly, uh, that means that uh, there is support for this bill. Uh, several other states have passed such bills. Kansas did not. Um, and uh, we expect to hear more about this bill as things pass on. Another issue uh, kind of under the curriculum heading that we've been following is computer science education. Uh, this is House Bill 2466. You might remember early on this contained a proposal that would have said students would have to have a course in computer science to graduate high school. The chief sponsor of this bill, Steve Hubert, uh, chairs the House Education Committee, removed that requirement as well as a, a hard requirement that districts would have to add computer science education. What it mostly is now is a framework for providing grants for professional development for teachers or teachers in training uh, to get to, to learn how to teach computer science education. Passed the House this week, 115 to 5. It has a hearing in the Senate Education Committee this week, this week and we'll be supporting that. I think the next, the next pack of things we might want to talk about sort of fall under the area of, of uh, uh, student choice, uh, both private school voucher approaches, but also, and coming more in the spotlight this week again, uh, public school choice. The Senate Education Committee held a hearing on Senate Bill 455, very similar to the original House Bill 2553. That's a little confusing. It says, if you read like the title of the bill, it says, you know, to require uh, that, that districts allow non-resident students to attend or allow students to attend uh, any district that they want, whether they live there or not. It's not quite that simple because the bill says that districts uh, can uh, determine their capacity on a grade level basis, set their own way of determining it. It would be up to local districts, but then they have to publish that capacity four times a year and accept non-resident students up to that capacity. But they also can have policies dealing with things like behavior or attendance and other, you know, you know, including but not limited to those factors, but cannot discriminate on grounds of race, economic status, athletic ability, academic ability. Um, so as we testified in both committees, it really leaves it kind of unclear as to exactly what boards could or could not do. It appears to say you, you have to take kids from other districts, but then there's a whole list of reasons why you wouldn't have to, but anyone who doesn't agree they were treated fairly can appeal to the State Board of Education, and you're going to be audited on whether or not you're following your policy, which seems likely to create a lot of time posting, a lot of time auditing, and a lot of appeals to the State Board of Education. On the other hand, as we already have over 20,000 students attending other schools, maybe it won't matter much at all. We don't know. We just know this bill is under consideration in the Senate committee and is another bill that could be packaged in with other items in the, in the House. The House committee also still has, uh, and we aren't even going to give you the bill number right now because it's likely to change, the education savings account concept that would allow uh, families to basically take their base state aid per pupil, put it in to an account that could be used for private school costs or, or other educational costs. All these items are out there, guys. You've been watching this week. Uh, what else do our listeners need to hear? 
Well, on uh, Senate Bill 455, the, the one about transferring students, uh, the discussion in the Senate Education Committee was basically to kind of put a uh, sort of a subcommittee working group together uh, led by Senator Brenda Dietrich, a Republican from Topeka, to kind of go over all those issues that you brought up, the, the amount of times that schools would have to determine capacity, uh, the auditing issues, and this uh, business about um, uh, parents who are upset with a decision by the school board being able to appeal to the State Board of Education. I think there was feeling amongst some on the committee that this would just swamp the State Board of Education. So um, I guess uh, later or next week, uh, the uh, committee will uh, come back with uh, some recommendations uh, to kind of change this bill up. There's obviously some uh, uh, oomph on the committee to get something out. So uh, uh, we'll see if uh, Senator Dietrich can kind of uh, smooth over some of these uh, issues that uh, we've been talking about. Just an important issue for legislators to hear from their constituents on. Uh, you know, this is something that has not been an issue in the past. Uh, it is getting a lot of attention right now, and I think many legislators may not have thought much about this and will be interested in knowing what their, their constituents want. Let's move now to kind of some issues around uh, funding. Uh, uh, the Senate Ways and Means Committee uh, has uh, made their, has kind of put their budget together, and it will be going to the Senate floor probably in the next few days. Um, basically, uh, help me out, Leah, the Senate has largely agreed with the governor, couple of exceptions. They're proposing to increase funding for virtual students, full-time virtual students, from a flat $5,000 to $5,600. This amount hasn't been changed in a number of years, probably pretty reasonable to have an increase, but the committee is not proposing to add any money to do so. And that means this increase theoretically would come by kind of trimming base state aid per pupil for every other district, which would certainly not really be keeping in the spirit of Gannon, but that's what they voted to do. They also voted to delay by one year fixing the delay in the final school aid payment, which is, again, if you know what we're talking about, you probably do. If not, it's really hard to explain. <laughs> simply comes down to, for almost 20 years, Kansas, the state has always sent part of the last state aid payment of the fiscal year after the fiscal year is actually over, but require districts to account to pretend like they had it for accounting purposes, which drives auditors crazy, is just a cash flow measure for the state. It can create some cash flow problems for districts, though, because you're having to wait on that last pool of money. The governor proposed with the, the healthy state ending balances we have now to stop doing that. The committee said, well, that's a good idea, but we've got some reservoirs that need to be dredged. Is that right? And so they want to wait a year to do it and see where we are. Uh, and they've also talked about, um, I think, possibly returning some school safety grants that the House is talking about. They didn't make that final decision. Do I have that all right, Leah? Yes. Apparently, there are some reservoirs that, I don't know. So, yeah. So, so And they want to take care of it this year and wait on the school payment until FY 2023. So we'll keep our fingers crossed that that fix for the late payment really does occur. In 2023. And, and that that uh, that budget is now part of Senate Bill 444, which is Triple called four. the mega bill. That is the 
the budget for basically all state agencies for next year and the next several years. House, again, is taking a different view. Uh, both the K-12 Budget Committee and the Appropriations Committee has agreed to take the Department of Education funding out of the, the main budget bill and put it into, if you're following along at home, uh, House Bill 2512, which means it would include both funding and then presumably a lot of other policy issues like perhaps the savings accounts or the, the Parents' Bill of Rights or some of these other issues we've been talking about. But they also made several changes, again, from the governor's budget. One, maybe the most substantial, House K-12 Committee wants to start in Kansas a program called Math Nation, which is used in some other states, uh, comes out of the University of Florida, apparently, that provides online assistance for kids with math. And this is really complicated, so follow with me. The motion that was adopted, as we understand it, in order to come up with $4 million to start this program next year, all districts that have more than 60% of students testing in levels 1 and 2, which is considered grade level and below grade level on state assessments, would share in that $4 million cost. They would somehow be assessed that on the basis of their enrollment. We've done a little bit of math today, and it looks like all but about 29 districts would have to, to share in this cost, and it would be about $10 per pupil to pay this cost. So unless you think you've got really good math scores or check your math scores, your, your cost to have this program made available would be around $10 per FTE pupil. The committee also decided that they want to go ahead and let the State Department continue with a dyslexia coordinator, but rather than putting in new state money, districts would essentially be charged a fee, again, presumably on a per-student basis, uh, to help support uh, this position. The House committee has also deleted the governor's proposal to add $1.5 million dollars for CTE transportation. Again, if you get this money, you probably know what it is. If not, you probably don't. <laughs> They've deleted that money. This would be an enhancement. Districts were not getting it this year. Committee took that out, but voted to add $5 million for school safety grants. The same way districts have had the ability to apply for this pool of money in the past <clears throat> with a 50-50 match, was not funded this year. This would restore that funding and add one more possible use of dollars, and that would be to use these dollars to start or to expand school resource officer positions. Running a school district is more work than most people realize. From leading a diverse staff to protecting the health and safety of employees and students, the work of an educational leader is never done. It can be overwhelming to find solutions to the challenges facing a district, but you don't have to lead your schools alone. Kansas Board Solutions, a wholly owned subsidiary of the Kansas Association of School Boards, is here to help you find the solutions you need to support your students and staff effectively and efficiently. With a full suite of technology and insurance solutions, KBS offers an array of services to benefit your school district. We know districts continue to face a wide range of challenges as student needs change, staffing requirements evolve, district facilities age, and much more. As a wholly owned subsidiary of KASB, 
KBS fulfills its mission by keeping money in local schools instead of spending it on huge year-end bonuses or high-flying corporate retreats. All of this helps us achieve our goal of helping you build and run the best schools in the nation. With KBS, you are truly getting a partner in education that serves you with a purpose. Wondering what KBS offers and how you might use it? The answer is simple. If you're in need of a software, insurance, or resources solution, KBS should be your first call. Learn more at www.ksb.org solutions. And then the last thing that, as I recall, they did was voted to, to give about $100 million to the communities, uh, communities and Schools program, but specified that the money would have to come from reallocation within the State Department of Education budget. No new dollars. Uh, do I have that right as everyone understands it and any comments on that? Well, I think I think the math nation uh, proposal uh, kind of sounds like a math problem you get in school. If uh, if the legislature forces you <laughs> to spend X amount of dollars, how much does that reduce your base state aid? And when when they came when math nation came to to give their pitch to the legislature, they were seeking a state appropriation or possibly some money uh, federal COVID dollars. So. What, what the K-12 committee came up with was uh, definitely a uh, novel approach, uh, which, which would, of course, cost our school district some money. Yeah, you can do that calculation. Of course, the justification that legislators, I think, will make is um, you are getting $100 million in additional uh, Gannon funding. Now, of course, we're also facing the highest level of inflation uh, in 40 years. Um, you're getting uh, $1.2 billion in COVID funding, which can be used for learning recovery. And our steepest decline in student achievement that we saw in our state test result has been in math. So, it, yeah, it, it certainly would be a new cost. It would be taking away some district choices, um, but I think it's it, this is yet another sign of, of, of frustration by some legislators over what they see as academic results. So that's what's driving it. Um, we would strongly encourage you to kind of talk with your legislators about what you're doing to address math and other performance, how you're looking at spending those dollars, what costs you're already facing, and, and basically, you know, uh, what you, what 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 impact this would have for your district as we get that information out anything else there any other comments guys all right i just, I just wanted to get sure. my math nation joking it's a great joke you know if we i don't know whether our i don't know whether alec can put in sound effects or something like that when he does this to lay down a little laugh track for that or something but yeah that was good um Okay, let's now move. Oh, one thing I probably should note, if you're really following the governor's budget, you may be desperately wondering what's happened to paying off the capers layering uh, uh, system. <laughs> I well, know I am. <laughs> yes, uh, but it, it appears that both the House and Senate want to go along with the governor and take about a quarter of a million dollars to, to pay off uh, those missed payments, which we were going to pay off over 20 years. But, you know, the, the bar has now been raised, and now the discussion is to actually put about a billion dollars in. Once again, we've got some high state ending balances. Uh, putting more money in would, would, would help save the state money down the road. It's not a bad idea. Uh, it would reduce the cost of what we have to do. Uh, so they're still kind of debating that. Now, while we're kind of on the subject of funding, 
We want to talk about what's happening around the area of bond and interest aid. Another fascinating uh, debate. <laughs> Leah's going to tell you what happened. I'm going to do my best here on a podcast to explain the way capital <laughs> improvement aid works and how this would change. So This is a nail-biter, uh, folks, so pay yeah. attention. <clears throat> so under state law, the district with the lowest assessed valuation per pupil, 75% of their bond and interest cost, if they have a bond issue, would be paid by the state. And then, and, and we look at that district's assessed valuation per pupil, which is all of your valuation, taxable uh, property, divided by your number of students. That's assessed valuation per pupil. And for every $1,000, a district's assessed valuation is above that lowest district that percentage paid drops by 1%. So right now, the lowest district is Fort Leavenworth, and their assessed valuation per pupil is pretty darn close to zero because they're a military base with almost no taxable property, and they can't have a bond issue. The next lowest district is somewhere in the 2020,000s, uh, per uh, assessed valuation per pupil, which means subtracting $20,000 um, uh, or adding $20,000 to zero basically means what they get paid by the state uh, is around 51%, I'm sorry, of what the state would pay. So there's been a bill that would eliminate Fort Leavenworth from the calculation. If you only do that, that means that the next poorest district would get 71%, and it means that 75%. many, many, 75%, thank you, and it means that many, many districts, most districts that are eligible for state aid would get a higher percentage of state funding paid. And this, of course, means, we all know from our math, even without math nation, the more the state pays, the less your local taxpayers have to pay in a bond issue. So a bill to do that, which would have really, you know, kind of helped a lot of, of poor districts, was in the Senate Ways and Means Committee. The committee acted yesterday. Leah, what did they do? Well, they did bring up an amendment from Senator Alley to remove Fort Leavenworth from that bond and interest state aid calculation. Hooray, hooray. However, then he added um, some information, which is a little bit too technical to go into. But anyway, the result of the amendment was that, yes, Fort Leavenworth is removed, but it, the upshot of the amendment is that really your bonded interest state aid amount from the state is not going to change. In other words, in other words, instead of the the new lowest district getting seventy five percent, the new lowest district will get what they would have gotten already, already. which is about fifty one fifty one percent. Is that yes? Now, so you may say, well, who cares then? Well, what this does is keep that gap from widening, because since Fort Leavenworth never gets any richer, if you will, and most districts' valuation goes up over time, and this has happened over the last decade, basically. Districts are qualifying for less and less aid. More and more districts become no-aid districts, and equalization really gets out of whack. The idea behind this is it would help maintain equalization where it is now, 
but it would but not help. But the state help. doesn't have to pay any more money. Right, but the, it's not adding to what the state would have to pay. Disappointing outcome for many districts, so helpful but not as helpful as the original bill uh, would have been. And that's tied, of course, Leah, right, to the, uh, to the impact aid issue, which also will affect some districts. That's right. That same bill, which again was passed out of committee yesterday, um, says that the state will no longer kick back 70% of the impact aid that's received by districts, which are, um, which are on or near a major federal property, such as a military base or a Native American reservation. Uh, those, those districts receive impact aid from the federal government to make up for the property tax that they don't receive from those tax-exempt federal lands. The districts under our current formula get to keep 30% of that federal impact aid, but 70% of that is distributed out to the rest of the districts in the state in the form of an equalization payment. Kansas apparently is the only state in the nation now to to contemplate that as, as their formula, and that is um, apparently making us look bad or not as good to the military branches when they are talking about locating bases here or, or taking bases away or adding services or staff to existing bases. And so uh, Senator Baumgartner, who's the chair of the Senate Ed Committee, said, you know, we can't afford to have this black eye on our state. Um, we need to be as military attractive as we can. So she asked the committee to pass the bill. So the bill passed out with the, uh, the fix for the impact aid and with a, a slightly less favorable fix for the bond and interest state aid and the Fort Leavenworth issue. Okay. So I want to just hit very quickly on a few things, because if you think this is fascinating, we could talk about needs assessment bills. <laughs> yes, uh, there was a, a hearing in Senate or House Education on that bill dealing with what you have to, to show. Uh, not going to spend a lot of time on that. Another fascinating topic is the revenue neutral rate uh, from last year's Senate Bill 13. Let's just say this is something that school businesses officers have to worry about and, and taxpayers can, can see if you're raising their property tax rate. There's a couple bills that would make some changes there. Um, there's also been a proposal that came out of committee for a constitutional amendment that would require a supermajority vote in the legislature to raise taxes. But let's stop all of that and turn our attention to COVID mitigation, face masking, vaccinations, and some things in this realm, which is now a lot of that is addressed in Senate Bill 541. Scott's been following that. So, Scott, what happened this week in that area? Well, uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee recommended that uh, Senate Bill 541 be passed. So it will be on uh, it'll be before the full Senate. This week, uh, it could be voted on at any time. Um, among the provisions, there were some really large amendments uh, passed uh, right there at the end. Uh, it would prohibit uh, schools uh, from, uh, uh, from imposing any kind of mask mandate. And uh, it would inhibit any local governmental entities from doing that. Uh, obviously, this is a backlash against the, some of the uh, COVID requirements during the past Oh, I guess we're we're two years into this. 
Uh, it would also uh, prohibit schools uh, from discriminating against students based on COVID-19 uh, status. Uh, they couldn't, um, uh, it, it, it seems to expand the, um, there's a religious exemption currently in law. If you have a sincerely held religious belief, you don't have to uh, get vaccinations or childhood immunizations. It would seem to expand that to uh, not, not just sincerely held religious belief, but I just don't believe in vaccinations. So uh, some, pretty, some pretty big changes uh, uh, envisioned in Senate Bill 541. And uh, as I said, uh, this is going uh, uh, to the full Senate for consideration. So just just to be clear, um, maybe the best way to think about this is last year, some of you remember Senate Bill 40 hearings. Um, many of you did not, but some districts had a lot of challenges to their COVID policies that had to have quick turnaround hearings before the board, uh, a quick, <coughs> quick appeals to the courts. To our knowledge, no district was ever you know, overturned by a court. In other words, no court ever found that a district acted uh, improperly or violated anyone's rights. But a lot of a lot of effort and legal costs went into that. That provision expired um, with the COVID nineteen emergency declaration. This bill would bring that back. Now, it's worth noting that, to our knowledge, virtually all, if not all, of those challenge policies were um, were around masks, and as Scott indicated. This bill would prohibit uh, mass mandates. So KSB testified against this. We want to we want to make sure our members and others understand why we've taken a position that these mitigating factors ought to be local decisions. The the state should not tell you you have to wear masks or you can't wear masks. That ought to be decided locally, based on elections and input and what the community wants. Um, likewise, you know our feeling was local boards are elected to make these decisions and to have these these special judicial appeals, you know, really, really kind of frustrates uh, what what the majority has said in terms of whom they put on boards and might want. Um, nonetheless, there's clearly ongoing concern about these provisions. Uh, and so, as Scott has indicated, this bill will be coming forward. I think last year there was kind of a feeling that a lot of people really weren't paying attention when Senate Bill 40 passed. They weren't sure what was in it. Um, as the session uh, draws to a close here in a few weeks, it's very important that if you've got concerns about this bill, um, you you contact your legislators, you understand where it is, um, and, and recognize the impact it would have on what your local board can do. Uh, again, for many of you, this, this may, not be, uh, may not seem to be a big issue, but obviously there were some districts that did continue to require masks, um, that these decisions were upheld, and that option would be taken away in the future. And remember, this is not tied just to COVID. Any infectious or communicable disease in the future, uh, masks could not be used under this bill, and any other strategies that boards would use would be subject uh, to this kind of uh, review. Any, any other comments before we move on? You know, those are kind of the biggest policies we've had. Uh, I'm just kind of scanning down my list for any other thing that we may want to look at or might be new. Um, we are hearing some talk around the issue of uh, 
liability for work-based learning programs. Uh, this has been kind of an issue in the last few years, and there's a bill that that we've got some concerns about called Senate Bill 91. That's in a conference committee. That conference committee may be meeting shortly, especially in the next week or two, when when a lot of bills will be going to conference committee. Um, so if you if you have any concerns or thoughts in that area, if you've got <coughs> you have or are interested in programs that have students working with businesses and and issues around liability have been brought up, uh, you may want to talk to your legislators about those so they have that understanding. Uh, we would also note that uh, uh, the House passed um, Senate Bill 62, which would update vision screening requirements, which we're supportive of, we're fine with. We would just note, even though it appears that the 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 House ended up passing a bill very similar to the Senate bill, it was sent to conference committee, which, which may just mean we're looking for another bill that would be available for conference committee work. Um, some of our members have been supportive of doing something about school bus safety and stop arm violations. That's House Bill 2154, still alive, still exempt, still on House general orders, uh, No, no has not been brought up at this point. Working after retirement got a lot of attention early in the session. There's been no movement there uh, that we're aware of. Last thing we might talk about, uh, unless anything, uh, unless I'm forgetting something, is uh, there was some work done in the Senate Judiciary Committee around uh, uh, Supreme Court judicial selection. KASB has a, a long-standing policy supporting our current method. We thought we, you know, our members have said they think it works well to keep an independent judiciary, which has been helpful in things like school finance policies in the interest of, 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 of equity for kids. Scott, you've been watching some work there. Yeah, uh, Mark, there are two proposed uh, constitutional amendments that were voted, uh, that were approved by the Senate Judiciary Committee along party lines. Republicans reformed, Democrats were against them. Uh, basically, uh, these one proposal would, uh, well, first, let me back up. Our current system basically uh, there is a nominate uh, to to select ju justices to the Kansas Supreme Court. There is a nominating commission that provides the governor with a with three names. She picks one, and that person serves on the Kansas Supreme Court and faces retention elections every six years. This is called the merit selection process. The pro two proposed constitutional amendments came out of Senate Judiciary. Uh, the first one would basically the governor would appoint or would nominate or appoint a Supreme Court justice, uh, but the state Senate could either confirm or reject. It's just kind of like our federal system where the president appoints and the Senate does its job. Uh, the second proposed constitutional amendment would uh, basically say justices run uh, as statewide, uh, just as the governor does, uh, just the secretary of state does, just as the attorney general does. It would be a statewide position, partisan elections. And uh, so uh, both amendments uh, would be uh, under these proposals would be on the August 2nd primary ballot. Uh, both would uh, uh, make major significant changes to our, our Kansas Supreme Court. And uh, as you said, Mark, uh, we, we oppose uh, both those proposals. You know, this is one where I imagine uh, to listeners that, you know, know Kansas, those other proposals may seem really strange, 
but uh, you know it's kind of our understanding that actually the Kansas process is is fairly strange. It was adopted uh, many, actually maybe before I was born, um, but it, so it's been around a while as a result of kind of an appointment scandal under the system we used to have. I think we're talking with our interns about maybe doing a little research just to be able to look at how uh, other states do it. But key thing is it will take a two-thirds vote of both the House and Senate to put this on the ballot. This has been talked about for many years. Um, it has never made it that far. Um, this may be an effort to see before another election where people might come down, and, and uh, no doubt there'll be a lot of scrutiny of it. Last thing we might mention, although we're not involved, um, <coughs> the legislature still has to redraw lines for state legislative districts for upcoming elections, and that will also include state board of education districts, which Kansas constitutional trivia fact, a state board of education district is made up of four contiguous state senate districts. Um, and so uh, that there, that's just coming forward. We only have a few weeks left and it's not resolved, so we expect that will be happening. Any, any other thing before we wrap up today? What am I forgetting, my friends? I think a lot of schools are going on spring break, so... That's right. Well, yeah, we don't know. Maybe maybe you're listening to this on a beach somewhere, or maybe you're listening at this at a basketball tournament or whatever we're doing. Uh, we hope you're having a we hope you have a good spring break, warmer than it's been at least here in Topeka, and we will be back next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>